If you'd open God's word with me to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 52, uh, this morning's study uh, will be the fourth of what is known as the servant songs. We're going to examine chapter 52, beginning at verse 13 uh, and ending at chapter 53 and verse 12. Uh, first, we will pray. Then we'll read the text, and then we'll make observations and applications as we unfold the text uh, together. So would you pray with me? Uh, Father in heaven, we praise you for your sovereign grace in sending your son, Jesus. We are thankful that Jesus acted wisely where we had been foolish. We thank you for the mysterious and awesome way that you work through suffering to bring your people to glory. We pray this morning for the church that gathers at Old Town. We ask for wisdom for them as they navigate some struggles in the ministry. We pray for Wapato Valley Church and their interim pastor. We pray, Lord, that you would lead them in healing from past hurts and the consequences of sin. We ask that you enlighten our minds, that you inflame our hearts, that you engage our will according to your word this morning. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you are able, would you stand for the reading of God's infallible, inerrant Word of God, beginning in Isaiah 52 and verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. As many as were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. Then he made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. 
The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of God. You may be seated. As we begin this morning again, the lyrics from the song, So Long, Moses, come back to my mind as we consider this passage. The question from the song and the question among Israelites is, will he be a king on the throne? Full of power, with a sword in his fist? Prophet, tell us, will there be another king like this, full of wisdom, full of strength, where the hearts of the people are his? Prophet, tell us, will there be another king like this? You see, those lyrics in that song and... uh, clearly kind of see the heart of Israel here and their longing. They kind of express this longing that Israel has. Historically and and most pointedly in the New Testament, we see that Israel had a longing for a king, but they were longing for a king that had power and significance. They were longing for a king that had was a military and political savior, one who would free them from the oppression of foreign governments. As we saw last week in Samuel's day, we saw that the the people desired a king to be like the kings of the nations. They wanted one just like them. Like the kings of the nations, God gave them a king. And he gave them a king who would strive to hold on to power and hold on to things in himself. He wanted power for himself. A king who would take land and take people and use them for his own ambitions. And King David comes along after Saul, and he's a man who's appointed by God to serve the people of Israel. And he was a king on a throne. He was a military leader. He was a man who had won the hearts of the people, a king who leaned upon the wisdom of God. Then throughout Israel's history, we go from uh, wise kings to poor kings, from poor kings back to wise kings, ones who are strong, followed by ones who are weak, ones who lead in reform after the others have led them into failure. And their question, as the question in this song, prophet, tell us, will there be another king like this, full of wisdom, full of strength? The hearts of the people are his. Prophet, tell us, will there be another king like this? So prophet, can you tell us? Can you tell us of the one, the king, who is to come? Can you tell us what he will be like? Well, behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. As many uh, were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. 
The prophet Isaiah begins this. Here's the question. Will there be a king like this and what sort will he be? And he begins this fourth servant song with the word, Behold, watch and see. Watch and see. The prophet, when speaking of the coming one who is to be king, he uses this phrase repeatedly throughout uh, Isaiah's um, message here. He uses this phrase, behold, watch and see. And he begins this four song in the same way. Behold, watch and see what sort the, the coming king is. What sort of king he will be. Watch and see what he who is to be king forever will do. In the first servant song, Isaiah says to Israel, God is going to do something new. Something different. The coming king will not meet your expectations but he will ultimately exceed your wildest imagination. He will not be the king that you think you want, but he will be the king that you need. He will not meet your human expectations. He will go beyond your wildest imagination. In Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old, Behold, I am in doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Behold, Isaiah says, God is doing a new thing in a new way. Watch and see. The coming king, he will be one of you. He will be one with you. Though he will be unlike any of you. Watch and see the coming one. The coming one who, who will be with you, who will be one of you, will be at the same time one with God. In the second servant, servant song, Isaiah says of the coming one, in, in Isaiah 49, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples, from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth sharp like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. You see, the coming one will be all that Yahweh had intended for his people to be. Notice as he calls here in Isaiah 49, he calls him my servant Israel. He is a representation. The, the coming king will, will be all that God intended for Israel to be. The coming king will envelop God's people into himself. He will become the king of Israel. And in, in becoming the king of Israel, he will incorporate God's people into himself. And then he thus, he will be true Israel. The coming one, Isaiah says in the third servant song, um, it will be the faithful servant of God, the one who is unlike the kings who came before, and one who cannot be charged with transgression. In Isaiah 50, verses 4 through 10, it reads, The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backwards. 
I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. As we look back to our text in Isaiah 52, verse 13, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. The coming king is the servant of God, and he shall act wisely. Watch and see. Watch and see that the coming king will act wisely. In the near sense, Isaiah is referring to the people of Israel being the servants of God and acting wisely. He's speaking to a people, a remnant, who would repent for the, of their past deeds. And that remnant, remnant would then vicariously sort of represent the whole of Israel. This is in the near sense of what um, Isaiah is writing. But in the long view, in the, in the far out view, Isaiah is writing uh, what some refer to as the fifth gospel, written hundreds of years ahead of the gospel. He says, watch and see, there is a king who is coming who will be the wisdom of God. He will be high and lifted up. He will be exalted. He will be obedient. And the people Israel will be counted righteous according to his wise acts. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many as were astonished at you, his appearance was, was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. This section declares that the coming king will be exalted, but this exaltation arises out of suffering and that this suffering somehow will lead to universal blessing and universal acknowledgement. Could you imagine the hearers of Israel hearing this statement? Behold, my servant shall act wisely. Behold, this one will come from suffering. And through his suffering, he will be exalted high and lifted up. And that his, his death, his shedding of his blood will be a blessing to all nations, not just to this people, Israel. Could you imagine in their human mind going, how can it be? How could this be true? In our experience, kings beget kings. People of high position beget people who are born to be in high position. Our leaders don't suffer. Our leaders in our own nation don't suffer, do they? The, the ones that we elect and put into office are men and women born into great wealth, into great influence, in, and born from great power. And we perpetuate that power every time we go because that's who we get presented with, right? Kings beget kings. 
And yet for him, for them, he's saying, the one who is to come will come from suffering. He will come as a nobody. He will come as one of you. And so they would say, no, kings beget kings. Kings are born out of affluence and favor, aren't they? Kings are not born of suffering. A king who suffers cannot be a benefit to even himself, much less how could he be a blessing to the people who are in the world. So tell us, Isaiah, how can this be? How then is this good news? This becomes the big overriding question that Isaiah is going to unfold for them. How is this good news? How can it be? Well, see, Israel had seemed to miss the blessing of the one who was to come. It seems to me that, that they missed this because they also missed the gravity of their own condition. They missed the gravity of the condition of their own soul. See, we too can miss the beauty of the gospel when we fail to see our condition before holy God. Israel, Israel needed a servant representative. They needed a servant representative to act wisely on their behalf. One who would suffer the penalty that was due to their own error. One who could suffer death and yet not be held by it. One whose death could not only atone for the nation of Israel, but for the sins of the people of God whom he had chosen from every nation. How can this be? Will there ever be a king like this? The pe people might be thinking in this point, Isaiah, Isaiah, tell us how the exaltation of the king coming from suffering, and how can that suffering, how can such suffering lead to the salvation of Israel and, and that beyond Israel, the nations will benefit and acknowledge it? Isaiah poses a couple of questions of his own. 53.1, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Those who anticipate the coming king by faith, according to the truth revealed to them by God through the prophetic word. It is they who receive the benefit of the coming one's obedience, the benefit of his suffering, the benefit of his atoning death. I declare to you this morning, there are those uh, amongst us always, every week, who don't believe. And those who don't believe, the truth of the matter is the invisible God has made himself plain to you. Romans 1.20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. And armed with the knowledge of God, those of you who do not believe, you have refused to acknowledge Him. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God nor give Him thanks. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. To those then God has given you over to your sin, the consequences of your refusal to acknowledge Him is this. You owe God your death for sin. For the wages of sin is death. But think about this. Your death is merely the justice that you deserve in this life. You are still eternally damned. 
Your death cannot pay the price for eternity. It's just what is due you. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I ask you this this morning, but who will believe this report? To whom has this or will it be revealed to? How will God reveal this truth? Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God concerning his Christ. So, tell us, Isaiah. Tell us of the coming one. What new thing is he doing? What sort will this king be that has never been before? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. The coming king will not meet your expectations. He will be born a humble birth. The coming king won't come to you as a heroic military hero. He won't come to you as a political hero. But he will come as one that no one would ever choose. He will be born into suffering. And again, this might make Israel ponder and ask, what sense does it make that exaltation of this king would come through suffering? How will the suffering of our king lead to universal benefit and acknowledgement? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He suffered for us, Isaiah would say. This is the new thing he's doing. This is about sin. I'm talking to you about sin. It's Isaiah saying your problem is not military. Your problem is not economic. Your problem is sin. And I'm sending you a king who will come as a servant and act wisely in your stead. A servant whom all of that sin will be poured out upon. It's unlike anything you've ever known. The new thing I'm doing is squashing sin once and for all. I'm sending you this king. He suffered for us, Isaiah would say. He will carry our sorrows. And yet, when the one who comes, you will see that king. You will see him as someone whom God has rejected. You will see him as one who is to be despised. How is this suffering good news? What is this new thing that God is doing? But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. 
and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The king you want. The king who will be full of power and will wield a sword. The king who you want to free you from political oppression. The king who will make a name for you and spread his fame across the geopolitical map. This king, if you have one like that, will leave you with a huge problem. You will gain the whole world, yet remain at enmity with God. The wrath of God against unrighteousness is still then reserved for you. But notice the king that we will that I will send. The king that will be coming is the one who is pierced for your transgressions, the one who will be crushed for your iniquities, the one by whose wounds you will be healed. The chastisement that you deserve from God will be upon him bringing you peace with God. It will be that which appeases God's wrath. The wrath of God will be poured out upon him your sin will bring about the suffering of God's servant, the king who's to come. Still, they might ask, Isaiah, how then does this lead to exaltation? How can it be? If he is king, how could he let this happen to him? How could a king allow such suffering if he is the one with such power to take away sin? How is it that he could not defend Himself. Verse 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. You see, the coming king, the servant of God, the one who is sent to take away your sin will make no defense of himself. This is Yahweh here speaking to them. Yahweh says, he will silently and willingly go to his humiliation and affliction. He will go for the people of God, the people who rejected him. He will die as a criminal, though he himself is pure. Still, Isaiah, they might ask, you have not answered. How can exalt exaltation be born out of suffering? And how can that suffering lead to the universal ben benefit and acknowledgement of our king? Will there ever be a king like this? Verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the trans 
transgressors. Here in this section, Isaiah answers the enigma, the big question, how can this be? It is Yahweh who is doing a new thing in a new way. It is Yahweh who will put the coming king to grief for the sins of his people. It is Yahweh who will be satisfied with the king's suffering for his people. It is Yahweh who will raise him from death to life. It is Yahweh who will be satisfied by his death. And his satisfaction will not be only for that of Israel, but the servant king's death will lead to the salvation of every nation. His death and resurrection are the proof of the truth that the coming one is both the Redeemer and the Lord. Sacrifice and King. And Isaiah says, watch and see. Believe what you have heard from me, the prophet says. Believe what the word of the Lord has revealed. It is for you who don't yet see. You don't see it practically, but believe in an expectant hope. A hope of His coming. Those who believe have hope in His coming. Those who believe Isaiah, Israel, they believe in the hope of this coming King whose sin He would bear. It is you who believe whose transgressions He has suffered for. It is by faith. It is for you who believe that He made peace with God through His suffering. It is for you who believe that you are healed by His wounds. The promise of the coming King is the hope of Christmas. As a Christian, we often look back at the birth of Christ as the reason to celebrate the season. And we look back at the first advent of Jesus Christ as the suffering servant, the one who was born in humility, born to suffer for our sins. By faith, We look forward to the exalted Jesus Christ as our Lord, our Savior, our King, who will return to us in victory, coming in power, coming with a sword, bringing us into His eternal glory and victory. Revelation 1, 5 through 7, and I will end with this. To Him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by His blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming, coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so. Amen. The King is coming. That is really the hope of Christmas. That is the reason to look back at the king in a manger. The king who was born in humility. We live today in the hope of the coming king in power. Not a sword in his fist, but the sword in his mouth. The sword who comes out and cuts everything down to its right position, its right place. He comes bearing the sword of truth. And we, today, we proclaim this king that has come. We proclaim that this king is coming back. And he has given us the sword of truth. The sword of truth. We wield a sword in this life, waiting for the the king with the sword in his mouth.
We wield the sword of truth, telling the truth about Jesus, telling the truth about his birth, telling the truth that, that from suffering, from suffering, God is intentional in suffering. God is intentional for his people in suffering. I think all of us at some time have suffered, and maybe some of us are suffering right now with something. That suffering is never, ever in vain in the economy of God. God takes our suffering and uses it to form us and to exalt us, to transform us into the image of His Son. His Son who is victorious. His Son who is coming. This is the anticipation of Christmas. I don't want us to lose that. We, we can lose the anticipation of our celebration of Christmas if we only look back at the first Advent and see a baby in a cradle and say, let's look back. Wasn't that wonderful that he sent us a, a Savior? Yes, it was. It was amazing. But the amazing truth is, is that one who died for our sins is exalted in heaven, that he is sitting upon the throne right now, ruling and reigning over the whole world. He is our king, and he is coming back. He is coming back to make it all right. I hope that we will see the hope of Christmas in the coming of the Lord Jesus.